Okay. So we are today going to finish letter 21 that we started yesterday. And we're also going to do the very beginning of level, letter 22, meaning we are going to do now Friday's portion, and then we're going to do the portion of Shabbos. And then what's the Shabbos we will do for Sunday and Monday and Tuesday, which will conclude letter 22. So now, concluding letter 21, yesterday we spoke of the situation where the Rebbe says, you pledged a certain amount of money to support your brethren in Israel. And you're going to give the money. But instead of giving it at one time at the end of the year, like when the pledge is coming due, like sometimes we do with pledges, I advise you, I ask of you, to divide that pledge among the months of the year or the weeks of the year, and every week or every month give a portion. And yesterday we said the main spiritual reason for doing so is the enormous superiority, the advantage of doing commandments with alacrity, with swiftness. So instead of waiting 12 months and doing it, do it already now. Keep doing it now. And we connected this to Abraham and the enormity of his merit in sacrificing or offering up his son Isaac on the altar was the swiftness that he got up early in the morning to show his love and joy in serving God and for all of us to see how much he had such love and joy and eagerness to serve God that he got up early to go sacrifice his own son. Now, concluding the letter, we're doing the second half of the letter, and here the Rebbe adds two other spiritual benefits to doing the commandment in many, many pieces instead of at one time. The first thing that we will discuss is how every single act refines your soul. And the second thing is how every single act of charity creates a supernal union in the attributes of God above and how this reflects down below. So first we're going to focus on how it refines my soul, every single act. The Rebbe explains that we're talking here of what we call the service of charity, avoid us hatstaka. Already previously in letter 12, this is letter 21, we explained there the difference between the act of charity and the service of charity. Act of charity means you're, in within, you're within your limits. You could be doing amazing good things, but this is your norm. It's the act. Service means you're going beyond your limits. You're working and going past the limits of your nature. So usually in terms of charity, the service of charity is giving a lot more than you can going beyond your nature, and I, I can't afford this at all, but pushing yourself, that's the service of charity. Here the Rebbe is saying another concept within the service of charity is not that the amount you're giving is beyond your cap, but giving it with such frequency also creates a spiritual advantage of service. So we're not saying you're adding to the amount, but we're saying you're giving it in many, 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 many increments. And we see this, this is sourced, this concept is sourced by Maimonides, who explains what our sages taught in the Mishnah, where they said everything is judged according to the multiplicity of the action. We would think everything is judged based on the stature of the deed. And of course, that also has a factor. But also the multiplicity of the action has tremendous impact. The Maimonides gives an example. If one will give a donation of a thousand coins, that's very praiseworthy, a thousand coins. 
but to truly embed benevolence in your psyche, give the thousand coins every day another point. Now, someone wouldn't think, well, you know, a coin a day doesn't, isn't like so, wow, a thousand coins is wow. And that's true. And it's a very beautiful thing to give that much money. But if every day you're giving a coin for a thousand days, it's embedding in you the nature of being a giver, the nature of benevolence. As Maimonides says, this refines your soul, doing it again and again and again and again. The same thing is true. I mean, parenthetically, I'm adding here that it's true for good and for bad. If there's a, a, a negative act, and we do it many, 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 many times, even though it might seem like small in the scheme of problems, but if we do it so many times, it embeds itself in our soul, gets deep into our psyche, which is a tremendous problem. And similarly, and how much more so, because good is much more powerful than evil, if we do a small act, again, and again, and again, and again, and again, we do this very good act, small, very good act, it changes us. It makes us different people. Now, additionally, when we give charity, it draws life from the fountainhead of life, from the source of life, from the infinity of life to the land of life. These are Kabbalistic terms, and what we mean to decode it is the end, the bottom end, if we want to call it God's infinity, is as he's expressed in the emotional attributes, the six emotions of the highest spiritual world, the world of Asilos. We've discussed this already many times, especially in last letter, where we analyze this extensively. That the highest spiritual world is not really creation. It's an emanation of God himself. So it still has infinity of God in it. We have the crown of it. Then that descends into the seminal wisdom. Descends into understanding. Descends into das, unification. And then it descends into the six emotional attributes of God. And that's it. That's like the bottom of what we're going to call infinity of God. And the next lower level, below this level of this world, is sovereignty, is malchus. And the emotions of Atsilus are referred to here as the source of life, the fountainhead of life, the life of life. And the sovereignty is called the land of life. It's really called land of life because land implies something not as heavenly. It's the lowest level within this highest world, so it's already a little more earthbound, it's land, and it's a land of life because sovereignty of Atsilus gives life to all creations of the next three worlds. Bria, Yitzhira, Sia, creation, formation, and action. So when one gives charity, it draws down life from the, who might call it, the masculine six emotions into the feminine recipient attribute of sovereignty. This is a union of the masculine emotions and the feminine recipient of all of this energy, sovereignty. This sovereignty in the, the, in the language of the Talmud is referred to as Shechina, the divine presence. So the divine presence, sovereignty, is in a state of weakness in our exile. But when we give charity, we're drawing life from the divine attributes into sovereignty to give her strength. We think, we think of sovereignty, of the divine presence, something that's fallen into the dust now during our exile. Because when the Jewish people are exiled, 
we are told Shekhinah, the divine presence, otherwise known as sovereignty of Atsilos, went with us into exile. So going into the wanderings of the Jews has taken the divine presence, Shekhinah's sovereignty, and brought her way down, humbled her to the lowest depths. So every time we do an act of charity, this is invigorating her. This is giving her infinite light from the source of all life, which has now come down to the divine attributes of the world of Atsilos. Now, why does my charity have this ability? Well, my charity is giving life to a pauper, to a poor person who has nothing of his own. Sovereignty of Atsilos, the divine presence, Shekhinah, also has nothing of her own. She is a recipient. Everything she has is fed to her by others, fed to her by these higher attributes of God. So the pauper has nothing. Sovereignty has nothing. When I give life to the pauper, this enables, I wouldn't say echoes or is parallel to it. It really activates it. That now the higher divine attributes can give life to sovereignty, can give life to the Shekhinah, to the divine presence. So my charity draws down life from the source of life, from the infinity of God's life as it's expressed in the six divine attributes, into sovereignty, into the land of life, into Shekhinah, into the divine presence. And this, of course, is especially parallel when the charity I'm giving is for the land of Israel, because that's also the land of life. That's the physical, in our physical world land of life, that's parallel the spiritual land of life, sovereignty of Atsilas. So if we can understand that, every time I give charity, every single time, it doesn't matter how much I'm giving, I'm creating an infusion of energy into sovereignty of Atsilas, into the divine presence, Shekhinah, into the land of life. Now it makes so much sense why our sages say, in terms of charity, it's all based on the multiplicity of the action. Keep giving many, many, many times. Because each time, look what you're accomplishing. This is giving life to sovereignty of Atsilas. This is giving life to the divine presence. This is causing the unification of the masculine elements of the divine attributes with a feminine attribute, with sovereignty. So, we're, And this also connects back to what Maimonides said. Maimonides said, why are we giving, taking the same amount of money and splitting it into so many pieces to give so many times? And his answer was to refine our soul. Our soul, in Kabbalistic language, is also a reference to the Shekhinah. Because the Shekhinah, the divine presence, is our life, is our soul. So that's why when I do charity many, many, many times, it refines my soul. and refines our collective soul. The Shekhinah, the divine presence of God, the sovereignty of Atsilas. And that's why also we say, I say to say, that greatest charity, that it hastens the redemption. Because every time I'm doing charity, I'm causing more life to come into Shekhinah, into God's expression here in this world, sovereignty of Atsilas, the divine presence. And each act gives her more energy and more energy and more energy and more energy to bring her to the coming of the Messiah when the Shekhinah, when the divine presence, when sovereignty of Atsilas will be reinstated to her original height. So we, from this letter, we understood two very strong points. One is, if you have an act to do, do it faster, do it sooner, with the enormous advantage of the alacrity of the commandment. And also, when you have an act to do, and you could do it many, many, many times, it's so much more valuable than doing it once. 
and especially if that act is an act of charity. Meaning in terms of refining my soul, it could be the same thing in any other good deed. It's not only in charity. Any good deed I do, the more times I do it, the more it embeds itself in my soul. But for this last advantage, taking the divine infinite energies as they're expressed in the six divine emotions and infusing them in Malchus, in the sovereignty of the world of Atzilos, in the Shekhinah, in the divine presence, in the land of life, that is unique to the act of charity. Because again, I'm giving life, which allows sovereignty, the divine presence, to receive life. So uniquely in charity, every single time I do the act, more life, more life, more life is given to the divine presence, which ultimately helps bring the Messiah faster. And that was letter 21, the tiny portion of Friday. Continuing, we're going to now do the beginning of letter 22, which is a tiny portion of Shabbos. Now, letter 22 that we have printed in Tanya is really a, a fragment, an excerpt, as, as many of these letters are fragments, of a letter that the author ever wrote. The middle portion is printed in the Tanya. The beginning is not, and the end is not. But just to briefly overview the beginning to understand a little more where this letter is coming from, in the beginning of the original letter, the Rebbe set times that he would receive people for private audiences. And he protested in very strong terms many requests that were coming for mundane affairs. Unmute yourself. See if you can hear me or not. Hello? Do you still hear me? Um, I hear, but it's not very. It wasn't very clear for a moment. But now, now I hear you clearly. Okay. I I was on a headset and I heard a little dee 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 dee. So I'm gonna use my phone. <laughs> okay. Thank you for that insight. Um. Okay. All right. So we're going to continue. I was I was on a headset, so you don't have the has advantages, but also disadvantages. Maybe it dies. Okay. So in this letter, that was our commercial break. Sorry. So in this letter, the Rebbe said, "Why are you coming to me to ask advice on mundane affairs? This is interfering with my Tyra study." Then that was sort of the introduction. We don't have printed in the Tanya. And then we come to the part here in the Tanya where the Rebbe is very strongly saying this is the arena of, of prophets, not of sages. And then at the end of the letter, which we also don't have printed in the Tanya, the Rebbe concludes by saying these appointed time for visits and private audiences must be adhered to. He would threaten to leave the country if he's not being listened to. We could say, what? The Rebbe here is saying, don't turn to a Rebbe for advice on your physical life. I mean, we do that all the time. So what's going on? Why are we not listening to the Rebbe in a letter clearly printed in the Tanya where he says, what are you coming to me for advice in your physical life for? Come to me for advice in serving God. That's, that's my job. I'm not supposed to go find your goats, so to speak. So one answer is that in a letter that the author Rebbe wrote close to his passing, 
he spoke about the counsel from afar with regard to all family matters, which Hasidim followers tend to say, oh, we can ask you about everything. Okay, that's good. Another answer given by Hasidim is, let me hear very strongly, saying the only one that has this knowledge of the Prophet. Go to the Prophet. And Hasidim, the followers of the Rebbe, say, okay, well, I mean, we always knew he was a Prophet. So in every generation, the Hasidim would view the Rebbe as the Prophet. And as a Prophet, we turn to you for advice on the issues we're only supposed to ask a Prophet for. And guess what? It works. So look at the letter inside. We're just doing the beginning of it today. This is Shabbos' portion. The Rebbe says he's giving us rebuke. And he's asking, has this ever happened in the past? Do we ever see a custom in, in the history of the Jewish people that it's the norm to ask advice from a sage of mundane matters? What should you do in the physical world? People didn't ask this of the greatest sages, of the, of the authors, of the Mishnah, of the Gemara, of the Talmud, who knew everything. The only one Jews would turn to for advice about their mundane physical life was prophets. Like the famous example of Saul, before he was king, that he went to the prophet Samuel because there were donkeys that his father lost and he was looking for them and he couldn't find them. All right, you don't know where your donkeys are? Go to the prophet. He'll be able to tell you. He didn't go to a stage. He went to the prophet. So why weren't sages of such great stature as the sages of the Talmud, why weren't they asked about mundane matters? And the Rebbe says, because such matters are only known by prophecy. We know Torah, but we don't know Monday matters. For that, you need to be a prophet. It says there are seven things hidden. No man knows how he will earn his living, nor when the kingdom of David will be restored, meaning when the Mashiach will come. So the Rebbe says, these are two very different things. How are you going to earn money and when the Mashiach, the Messiah, will come? And yet our sages liken the two, because just as we can't say exactly when the Mashiach is coming. We can't say exactly how you're going to earn your living. The person could say, but Isaiah, Yeshaya says that a counselor and a man whose wisdom silences all, which would imply that someone that has wisdom of Torah can be a counselor for everything. But the Rebbe says no. <laughs> what that verse is talking about is not other areas. It's talking about Torah areas. There's another quote from our sages that bring out the same idea. It says someone who studies Torah for its own sake, people derive from him the benefit of counsel and wisdom. Remember, since we're talking about counsel and wisdom in Torah, we're not talking about how you're going to earn money. We're not talking about your health concerns. We're not talking about where you should live. We're talking about Torah counsel. A counselor is someone who knows how to calculate the years, how to determine the months, to know the lunar months, to know when it's a leap year. That's the counselor and the advice we're talking about. We're not talking about advice in your physical areas of life. So that was the portion that will be the portion of Shabbos. And again, for those that are confused and say, but wait, we turn to the Rebbe and all Hasidim have turned to the Rebbeim for many, many, many very physical areas that actually might be the bulk of what we asked the Rebbe about. The general answer given is either this letter that the Rebbe wrote at the end of his life, which implied that there was sort of perhaps a permission, or more broadly it seems 
So Hasidim said, okay. So the Alter was telling us he's a prophet. We accept that as well. Good Shabbos.